millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Hi everyone, it's Helen here, voice of Azu, Enola and Laverne and host of Enthusiasm. Today I'm here to tell you about Divisor, a podcast on the RQ network. Divisor is a dark science fiction audio drama with elements of horror from Harlan Guthrie, the mastermind behind the unsettling and addictive series Malevolent. In this immersive tale, we follow Sun, a young man who awakens aboard a spaceship bound for Earth on a mission to recolonize a desolate planet. However, Sun's journey takes a sinister turn and he discovers unsettling truths about his world and himself. The entire series is available for you to listen to right now. So, search for Divisor, that's D-E-V-I-S-E-R, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or visit www.divisor.ca or www.rustyquill.com for more information. That's all from me. Enjoy your episode. That whole description is like, you have to go for the glories of Lyme, or the village, or the cliffs, or the gravelly shore. And it's like, Austin, hon, I wish you got the chance to get out more. Rusty Quill presents Enthusiasm. Hello, 
friends, fans, and everybody else, uh, welcome to Enthusiasm. I'm your host, Helen Gould, one of the best rusty quillers. This is our show where various members of the RQ crew get together, kick back, and chat about a few of our favourite things. Today on the agenda, we're talking about Jane Austen. And I am delighted. Yes, woo, woo for Austen. Um, (laughs) I am delighted to be joined by... Lydia Nicholas. Oh, wait, I'm doing it like a Rusty Quill gaming thing where I just everyone, I assume everyone knows who I am. No, uh, (laughs) sorry, I am Lydia, I remain Lydia Nicholas. (laughs) You may know me from Rusty Quill gaming and uh, Magnus sometimes. I stab things. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's the character trope. <laughs> I'm Maddie Searle. I am the editor on Stella Firma and mysterious upcoming things that will be made known soon. Ooh. I think they'll probably be known by the... Because this is Patreon only, they'll probably already know about it by the time this has come out. Unless it's something I don't even know about. <gasps> no, this is something that... No, this is um, inexplicable. So yes, you do yeah. definitely know about <laughs> the it. The thing I definitely know about. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Sasha making eye contact through the camera like, no idea. <laughs> When you said inexplicable, I was like, I thought that was just a descriptor. Uh, sorry, and and Sasha, who are you? Oh, hi, yes, I'm Sasha Sienna. Um, I voice Georgie Barker on the Magnus Archives, and I just I'm kind of a general rusty quill towers haunts person, just doing things, <laughs> games designing things, and occasionally get pulled in to do other things. We all know who each other are now, so. Jane Austen. To my knowledge, there are six main Jane Austen novels out there. (laughs) We have, of course, Pride and Prejudice, which is the one with Mr. Darcy. We have Sense and Sensibility, which Sense and Sensibility is... The boring version of Pride and Prejudice. That's the one Mr. Wickham, isn't it? No, no, it's no Pride and Prejudice is the one with Mr. Oh, Wickham. This no. was Willoughby. Sense and Sensibility is the one with Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman in and Kate Winslet in the nineteen ninety five adaptation. Yes. The cool things you're remembering yeah. about Sense and Sensibility actually are the subplots of Pride and Prejudice. And this is not <laughs> the first time I've seen that happen. Well, she shouldn't have titled them so similarly. So Sense and Sensibility is is the one where um, they're the poor women because they're older half-brother got all the money yeah and and then they go to live in a cottage yes that's the one oh that's the one where hugh grant turns up isn't it yes (laughs) edward ferris okay then there's emma who is the meddling lady who keeps trying to set everyone up and actually isn't very good at it yeah she has uh very cool clothes and they go to a 90s high school yes (laughs) That's I the love one. the tartan skirts. Yeah, I mean, my favourite thing about Emma is the AI programme to choose an outfit. I really think that that yeah. was Oh my time. word, I was so into the idea of that as a child. Yeah, yeah. It was I thought that was going to be the like, future. Yeah. I honestly thought like, oh, come the year 2000, we'll all have those. Yeah. We did not. Should we be clear that we're not actually talking about the original Emma just then? I do feel like from context. <laughs> yeah, I think the weirdest thing about the original Emma is that Paul Rudd has an age. Yes, he's immortal. <laughs> Since the original publishing, which is quite a while ago now. Honestly believable. We are to- is it Clueless? Yeah. Is that We're Clueless? talking about Clueless. Yeah. Clueless okay. is the only oh. adaptation of Emma that I will... Uh, <laughs> I think it's the only one that's worth watching. It is? 
I don't. I remember being bored by one once. But the problem is that it's the one that makes the age gap reasonable. Whereas so many other, like the, the age gap in the book is gross. Like they make a point mm. of the that he knew her as a baby. Well, I have strong opinions about this. Oh, okay. Yes, no. It is gross that he knew her when she was a baby, but also like the the age gap in Regency times was very, very different. Like the context was very, very different. Mm. And I think that it's. You could argue that um, a college person going out with someone who is 15, who is also his stepsister, is also very questionable. I don't think there's that much of a difference contextually, which is why I think it's such a good adaptation. So the next three are the lesser known ones, I think, right? So then there's Persuasion, which is the one where... Persuasion is my favourite too. I saw Maddie like (laughs) smile. (laughs) I didn't want to interrupt, but I just clasped my hands in a a wistful way because I love it. Yeah. So that was somewhat like her long lost, like he proposed and she was forced to say no, I seem to remember. And then he went away to the Navy. Mm. Yeah. And then he came back and then they have another go. <laughs> yep. They do have another go. Yep. It's the most beautiful letter. <laughs> yes, it is. It's yeah. so pretty and it's so famous. <laughs> Mansfield Park is the one that tries to tackle slavery a bit, I think. I've kind of steer- steered clear of that one and never managed to actually read it. I've never read it either. I always confuse Mansfield Park with Gosford Park, which is a completely different mm. <laughs> period piece. And then there's Northanger Abbey, which is the funniest one, in my opinion. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> and that's the one with uh, the lady who is obsessed with gothic romances. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I really want to make a version where it's basically the main character is obsessed with not Twilight, but something very like Twilight. Mm. And then that, that is the correct sort of... adaptation choice. Yeah. yeah. That is yeah. absolutely the, like, yeah, because... Someone that's obsessed with horror has a completely different vibe now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, that's very true. So I like to think I've got a star on these summaries. <laughs> I think you would totally have passed the Austin module of my literature degree, which is the last time that I read most of these. Are we talking about the others or not? Tell us about the others, Sasha. The Juvenalia. Yeah, well, there's the Juvenalia, but then there's also some later published works which were published posthumously or posthumously. I don't know which... It is posthumous, posthumous. I mean, there's Lady Susan, which is a short story, which may or may not be part of the juvenilia, as far as I'm aware. Um, There is a bit of debate around that. And that is one of my very favourite Austen pieces, which is a short story about a woman who's like a very wealthy, well, formerly very wealthy, now pretty poor, really flirty society lady who's going around making a nuisance of herself and getting into scandals. <laughs> and then there are the unfinished novels, Sanditon and the what the Waltons, which, well, they are unfinished. They are short little snippets. But I would really like to be able to talk about Lady Susan because I love it. I wish that you'd given a reading list before because I think I vaguely remember reading the Sanditon bit but I do not remember Lady Susan. It's okay. We don't have to talk about it. I'm actually, I'm filming, not filming, sorry. I'm actually recording another podcast about Lady Susan this weekend so I can hold it in. <laughs> There's so much Austin coming out of your pores. <laughs> I seem to be making somewhat of a semi-career of just like being weirdly into Jane Austen. <laughs> it's not weird. <laughs> so I think I'll do what I did with the Buffy and with the horror episodes and ask like, how did we all like first encounter Jane Austen? What got us hooked as it were because for me it was my mum 
She was super into it. She and I both have a love of period dramas and I still haven't forgiven her for spoiling Jane Eyre for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were watching a BBC adaptation of it and there was like a shot where there was like a red scarf coming out of the tower. Oh, yeah. Mm. And I was so fascinated. I was like, oh my gosh, what could that be? And my mum's like, oh yeah. And it's, she it's answered? The dead, it's, the, it's the wife. Oh my God. Oh. And I was like, mother... <laughs> So did you did you start watching adaptations or reading the books? Like, which did she share with you or both? Definitely the films. I didn't have the books until I was in university, I think. And minor sidebar, Toby Stevens in that Jane Eyre adaptation is absolutely awesome and very sexy. <laughs> <laughs> well then, Maddie, how did you get into it? I was similar. It was my grandmother who I called Gigi because it was like a childhood nickname that stuck she was an English teacher and she loved Jane Austen and Shakespeare and all these kinds of things and showed me lots of movie adaptations and TV adaptations, things like that. And it was basically like I was getting sneaky English lessons and not even knowing it and just absolutely loving it because it was just watching films with my granny. So it was, it was really lovely. I remember trying to read the books quite young because that was the sort of thing you were supposed to do mm. and hating them because it was like there's all these women and they don't do anything <laughs> and I would really like to go back to all the magicians and uh, dragony stuff please I mean I'll put up <laughs> with sometimes they'll have like ladies in but they don't have to feature much and I don't have to care about their emotional lives because when I was young pretty much everything that you were read was like men do things women feel things <laughs> and uh, I remember at sixth form we had persuasion as a set text and the teacher that we had was she was like a feminist anti-racist activist in Australia who had taken time off from activism to go live somewhere else and teach in a private school because I was on like a scholarship at that sixth form and so we had this tiny tiny class and this incredibly enthusiastic teacher who would bring politics into every line of that book and would talk to us about what it was about relationships and stuff. And so I have a copy that is just filled with notes that are so like child doing their A-levels. So I'm like underlining stuff and it's like, he is angry, but it's not clear. <laughs> and the sort of stuff where like, I'm reading it now and I'm like, yes, duh. So much of that. And yeah, I remember it's like the letter that he writes at the end where she says like there's this massive reversing of like in so many of the other books. It's like the men do things and they're allowed to speak and they get opinions and the women have to like subtly negotiate through these tiny cracks to get any control over their lives and futures. And there's just like this thing of she's taken an action and he... he like is silent and sort of petitioning her and she gets this ultimate choice and this was this huge thing and I just remember going through it like Sasha's I like I don't know if if like Sasha's processing all of this and being like I have a million opinions of your relatively basic take and I'm I'm sure I'm no, sure no, no, no. but like reading through it again I still think it's an incredible book but I have not I, I still find most of the others like impossible and irritating <laughs> genuinely i i can i can enjoy the adaptations but like they have their own value and they have i love the humor and i love the writing and the language but like persuasion is one where it feels like it could be possible and apart from how she jumps off the steps at lime and that like that's ridiculous like why why she jumps it's just like why would you bunks her anyway 
that was like my intro. And then I had to study the others at university and I still, they're funny, right? I, I love the humor, mm-hmm. but a lot of the time I'm going through and I'm like, this stuff. It's all about people's feelings and I don't really understand people's feelings. So like they're playing a game that I don't, the rules are a mystery. That's it. <laughs> I will be quiet now and hear Sasha's intro to Austin. Actually, my eyes were lighting up when you were talking about how you would underline all your books during A-levels because the way that I got into Jane Austen was I actually found a book in my house. I don't know where it came from. It wasn't either of my parents, but it was clearly someone else's old A-level text of Pride and Prejudice with all their annotations. And I was about 13 or 14 at this point and loved to read. But to be honest, like English lessons when you did like literary analysis in air quotes Mm. at like age 12 had left me desperately bored and this was the first time that I'd read a book where you could actually see some analysis of it in real time mm. and it blew my mind I loved that <laughs> book so much and I was already like it was in a bit of a classic literature phase anyway um I just was such an eye-opener I just fell so hard for it and I just devoured the rest of the books absolutely loved it but I loved all like that like classic literature that you would read as a teen you know that kind Mm, of mm. stereotypical stuff and then it wasn't till I was in maybe my first or second year at university and I was talking to a man who was doing English literature undergrad and he was a self-identified feminist and he mentioned Jane Austen and I was like oh yeah I love Jane Austen and he was like "Mm, yeah no it's just I don't I don't think it should be studied like he was real I don't know if he said I don't think it should be studied but he was like oh it's just pointless like um that I may be putting words in his mouth there but he was basically saying like all these wars and big events historical important political events were going on and she's just writing about like women getting married like she's just writing about day-to-day stuff and it just oh my god Uh, you know that (laughs) gif of um mrs white like flames on the side of my face from the clue movie (laughs) i just like got this rage and it was like um and i just went on this massive rant about how actually a the stuff that's happening day to day is still does still matter b this was women's real life and actually there is plenty Mm. going on in the books and i'm so sorry if you don't have the subtlety of thought to tell that people are still doing things even (laughs) if they're not telling you and then a man went to a war and killed a person like uh, you know they they (laughs) are still events they are still important and also like it's not just about the romance because you can't forget that at this time a woman's marriage was her like her economic survival yeah it is not just about people's feelings not that there is anything wrong about people's feelings Mm. that can also be incredibly valuable and definitely worth studying but it is also of material concern what's happening here. And yep. if you can't pay attention to that stuff, then that's on you, not on Jane Austen. Yeah. Like, yes, we should still be studying her. And I'm sorry that nobody's going to war in this book. Also, there are people going to war in this book. You just have to look closely yeah, yeah. to see what it's... To- anyway, I'm sorry. I'm getting too agitated. I'm moving around. And I hope none of these listeners are that particular male literature student from my second year of university. <laughs> so I-, I hope that they are and that they, like... They- <laughs> Come to Austin, as it were. Yeah. The fact that I say that about what 13-year-old me thought when 
she was trying to read these things. Oh, goodness, no. I like, know. I, that, that's yeah. the thing is that I then grew up slightly and realised those were important. It was just like there yes. was such a clash mm. when I was a kid that it was like, this is what you should be interested in at exactly that same stereotypical age. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. no, I want to read Dickens where like there's little thieves and they do stuff. And <laughs> it's like, no, you know what, they're... It's just as important. It's just, yeah, it genuinely does take more of a subtlety of thought. I, I think there's a lot of people that can really enjoy them at whatever age and whatever level. There is, yeah, there's a subtlety of thought to realising how serious it is. Like, she's taking the silliness of life seriously. Because, like, the silliest one, who is Lydia, by being silly, and they literally call her a silly girl, like, she potentially destroys lives right yeah what seems trivial is absolutely not ever that's such a good way of putting it it's like she takes the silliness of life seriously i really love that and yeah so that's why my eyes were lighting up while you were talking because <laughs> it mirrored how i came to it yeah very nicely i thought in a weird way that's why i actually find pride and prejudice and a couple of the others quite hard is someone i can't even remember who commented once when i was talking about pride and prejudice about how it was a fantasy. And it's one of those things that really sticks with you because she said something like, you don't marry a Lizzie. Like, Darcy wouldn't marry a Lizzie. She maybe gets to be, that. like, she's the affair, right? Like, and that's the the reality. It, when you look at it, and you, especially in the adaptation where he's got that chonky house. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, like, she, she doesn't have anything to recommend her except her personality and herself. And it's, it's wonderful how it happens in the book, but there's, I think, almost hearing it, hearing, I just remember someone's commentary, kind of like, he wouldn't even have, he wouldn't feel that he has the freedom to do that because he's got so many other, like, yeah, there's the responsibilities to marry the right person, to keep the line and keep everything. Like, it's not a thing that would really happen. I find it quite hard now watching it. I mean, like, this is... It's someone's idea of what would be nice to happen. Because she she shows their lives being destroyed by silliness and then she saves it in a way that is, you know, I don't know when so much of the rest is really plausible. Like, it's fine for a novel. Like, I read stuff with magic in. It's cool. <laughs> um, that's not to say it's a bad book. It's just, I don't know. I remember that really ruined the book for me, reading it, like, someone saying that and real like it feeling then like a, a fix-it fic. I feel like... Actually, I, I've heard that criticism as well. And I feel like, first of all, again, with my soapbox, mm, like, please fix it for me. Criticism, like, oh, it's just not realistic, only ever gets applied to romance novels written by women. Yep. And it's like, no, of course, these are supposed to be unusual events. Mm. That is why we are writing a fucking novel mm. about them. Mm. Um, <laughs> then they're supposed to be not just every single day this happens. But I think that that would be a more uh, cutting criticism for me if the book itself did not treat this as completely out of the ordinary. Mm. Because obviously, no, the vast majority of cases that wouldn't have happened, but out of the ordinary things did still happen yeah. in Regency times. Not everybody lived their lives in, in one way. And this is very much treated as like, this is a wild decision for him to have made. Yeah. His family are like, what are you doing? Mm. But he is saying he's going to do it anyway. And I don't think that that was a fix it. I think that that was, this is very much a book about a man who seems like the sort of person who would have done the normal mm. honour of the family, protect the line thing. Mm. But actually, all the way through, he is not that man. Yeah. He is somebody else. 
And so I think it doesn't seem like a fix it fic because it's not a fix it, it it's it's baked into the book. That is what the story is. But also I do think that the book treats it as very notable. Yeah. Which I think is like I'm reading books for things to be a bit notable. <laughs> I get that. It's and yeah, like I say, I read things with magic in. Um and there's oh but that's part of what like that's part of the deal right yeah like if you're reading i think it's that yeah it's the internal consistency thing um with some of her book like but this is the sort of thing that i do criticize and say dickens yeah where they're just there's the incredible coincidences like oh no it turns out <laughs> that so-and-so is also his uncle who was long lost at sea like we get that that is a thing in Dickens, and that is also definitely a thing in continually through Austen because they're constantly re-meeting the same, like, three people. <laughs> like, oh, it turns out that my ex is just going to live up the road because he's connected by marriage to someone that... But that's fine. I'm I'm fine with that. I think uh, I think you have fixed my my sadness about Pride and Prejudice. So thank you, Sasha. Oh, thank I'm you. glad. That is my, my main aim in life. <laughs> Yay! I think it's also interesting to kind of, because from a modern perspective, a lot of the kind of stories that I like are like, smash the system, yeah. get rid of all the old stuff, get it all out there. Um, whereas Jane Austen is much like, we're in a system. Mm. This is just how it is. We have to work with it. We can't like completely destroy it. We have to like sm like sneak our way through and find the best outcome in this very flawed system, yeah. which I find very interesting. Mm. It yeah. is about living in a broken world and a lot of it. Like they, they can't do things that they want to. Yeah. There's a lot of lockdown has made me understand Jane Austen a lot better. Like, oh yes. <laughs> I absolutely cannot see people. There's all the like, oh it, it's it's not like I have a chaperone, but I can't see the people I want to. Mm. Like all the same. And so I literally the whole take a turn around the room sounds absurd. Like I remember like seen yeah. re watching that a while ago and being like, what absolute Egypts. <laughs> <laughs> how this must be satirical this must be one of her funny bits and now yep lockdown i'm like i'm just gonna walk around the garden mm. for a change of scene mm -hmm. my mum has a fitbit and sometimes she just waltzes through the house like i'm doing my steps <laughs> like, i think that particular bit about let's take a turn about the room i think that bit is satirical well, she's being funny about it but the idea that that is a ridiculous thing to do always. Yeah. Like, she's being ridiculous in that moment because she's trying to do something. Yeah. But the idea that you would... But it certainly isn't so out of line with the rest of the book that you're like, yeah. that would never happen. Yeah, yeah. And now, yes, very much like, oh, I think I might take a walk to the kitchen. Yeah. I think, for me, the bit that I'm now connecting more to with lockdown is just the... My imagination is like doing really weird things at the minute because I don't have much outside stimulation. Like I haven't really been, I haven't been seeing people to like talk about things and discuss things and say what ifs. And so to me, it seems the, the, the number of like times when people just like daydreaming or thinking by themselves or sitting under a tree for hours, mm. which before I was like, I can't, you have to have something with you. I can't just stare into space for hours. And now I'm just like, probably could now, actually, mm. <laughs> if I've got nothing else to occupy my mind. I'm just like, what if this happened? Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, it's very strange. Mm. I think one of the things about Austen's books is they can, when you are, as I say, the kind of person that reads things that are either smash the system or smash the magic tower or like mm -hmm. <laughs> they feel small but that's fine 
because it is it's also a delighting in the smallness of real life yes. and existing and the skill that it takes to navigate those things. In Persuasion, there's so much about how Anne is practical mm. and the fact that she gets to show that or just be be useful and find her life has shrunk so much even compared to other people within that system, but she still finds ways mm. to survive and to to daydream and to help people. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like my life has shrunk. Yeah. And so I my imagination is so much more active now in order to try and like push those boundaries to where mm. I think that they used to be. Yeah. But we're getting a little bit maudlin, I think. Mm. Shall we talk about something very, very funny? Sure. Go for it. Shall we talk a little bit about... Um, I really do want to talk about Northanger Abbey. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think it's my favourite out of all of them, just because, for one thing, it's hilarious that she's just walking around a house thinking, oh, ghosts! <laughs> and for another... I didn't realise how risque the books that she was reading actually were. I think it was oh you who told me, Sasha. Have you read The Monk? No. Oh, but my like... word. It's got serious trigger warnings, but it is <laughs> very, very risque. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, so like when um, John Thorpe is, you know, so she's reading Mysteries of Adolfo and that's what like her her friend Isabella is suggesting she reads as well, like or is reading along with her. And um, she's loving that. And that one is is pretty risque. And then John Thorpe, who's like the dickhead guy, he suggests to her that she reads The Monk and says that that's what he's reading. And that's how you know. Like, that's one of the many clues that he's just a dickhead. Like, he's got no clue about what is and isn't appropriate. He's just, he's got this kind of like brash modernity about him in a way that um, Mm. is, is very censured. And yeah, that like the whole fact that he's recommending The Monk to her is such a a telling character point because, my word, that's an explicit book for a Regency era. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm reading some of the plot summary. (laughs) Oh, my. Mm. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, Burns. I would listen to a podcast that is just Helen reacts to (laughs) plot summaries (laughs) to to Wikipedia. Regency era novels. (laughs) The other, the thing that really sticks by, sticks with me as well in Northanger Abbey is the scene where I think she's with John, and he like they're just riding off in his chariot really fast with this horse yeah. straight past the people she actually wants to like just mm-hmm. just the idea of her just going whoa <laughs> and then just like watching her just go by, I think it's just so funny. I can just really imagine him as like this really dickish dude bro in like a really fancy sports car just like zooming yeah. past yeah. the people in like the very ordinary Volkswagen or something she's like I want to talk to the people in the Volkswagen please <laughs> what are the rest of your like what's, what are your favourites because Northanger Abbey is mine what about you I mean Sasha you already said Lazy Susan uh, yeah so Lady Susan is one of my favourites I always tell people that my favourite of the novels is Northanger Abbey because I think it's the most underrated and also it's the most like when I was 15 mm. and reading it I was like this is me this is a book about me <laughs> and it was a book about me um, but also I, I really hate to say that my f- actual favourite might be Pride and Prejudice because it's a very basic thing to say I nothing here so, is basic so yeah my favourites are Northanger Abbey and Lady Susan for sure <laughs> yeah. I've read Jane Austen books you've never heard of. 
<laughs> well, it's just everyone's favourite is Pride and Prejudice. And also, Theresa May said that Pride and Prejudice would be her book on Days Like Island Discs, and now I don't want to say that it would be mine. Oof. Lest people think that I have something Aww. in common with Theresa May. <laughs> Lest I actually do have something in common with Theresa May, which would be worse. She probably likes it for different <laughs> reasons. She likes it for basic reasons. You like yeah. it for good reasons. Yeah. While also acknowledging that Thank the yeah. basic reasons are also valid, because things can just be good. Yes. <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> How about you, Maddie? I've just been trying to think, and I think I'm very much like, Pride and Prejudice is my favourite like classic romance one but then persuasion is my favorite like very low-key and very mm. sort of heartfelt and almost kind of subversive one and then mm. north anger Abbey is my favorite like funny one and so i'm just basically like they're all my favorites for different reasons and i i am like sense and sensibility for well ma- mainly for the uh, emma thompson adaptation just because it's so pretty it's so good <laughs> just, i think with pride and prejudice not pride and prejudice with, with Ah, with persuasion, there are such moments of I I think it's because you say understated or like subversive. And it, it is those things, but it's also that there are just like the moments where she's thinking about him and thinking about what she's lost, where like there are points where it's like there's so much emotion that if it was an adaptation, and I have never seen an adaptation actually. If it was an adaptation, I would need to pause it. And with this, I often have to put the book down and be like cup of tea so much emotion <laughs> oh i feel it's in my core and then like read again like it's it is and oh, i like wentworth is just so sexy he's mm. just so sexy yes he is <laughs> there is an adaptation that's the one i watched before i read it which i really like which is a bbc one um kind of i think it was sort of towards the end of the sort of 90s period drama run mm. and it's amanda root and kieran hines in the main roles and it's just absolutely brilliant and of course like all the minor characters are brilliantly cast and hilarious like her, Miss mary her sister is completely wonderfully awful <laughs> and simon russell beale is just kind of very sweet but kind of useless as her husband and yeah it's just like an all-star like british character actor version and also it's just incredibly like quiet and beautiful and has only very the most gentle piano accompaniment soundtrack and like they they really Aww. like allow the moments of silence and the like the beautiful um kind of bleak shorelines and woods and forests they are so into lime like the that whole <laughs> that whole description is like you have to go for the glories of lime oh the village oh the cliffs oh the gravelly shore and it's like Austin, hon. I wish you got the chance to get out more. Like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably a lot better seaside resorts than Lyme, sorry to say. Well, she hated, like, the big ones, mm. you know? She was all about that, like tiny little beachside where no one else is going and it's like well there's probably a reason why no one else is going there yeah. <laughs> but um, you know like she hated like the brighton kind of places she thought it was the worst place in the world <laughs> wish you could see it now jean <laughs> i do want to say that like one of the things that really endears me towards like all fiction of this area but uh, of this era is the very outlandish ways that they all speak to each other where someone is like, oh, they are the most the most kind and generous person in the entire world and, you know, you can stab me if you think differently. <laughs> that, do you know what I mean? Like, the overstatements is just something that I love to read mm. because mm. I just, there's a part of me that's like, they don't really mean that. No one can really mean that. But on the other hand, 
Maybe they do because they only knew like 20 people. In the, like, <laughs> yeah. <ever. laughs> and they are like the, the connection with an ex. You know, the, the mm. oh, we have the pleasure of a connection with the Duchess. Really? <laughs> the, it's a... Uh, oh, I've just noticed. Sorry, I could bring it up later, but I did I did make notes on Pride and Prejudice adaptation and I've just seen them in front of me. But I gave up because all they are is Darcy is naked in the bath. Oh, my. Darcy's hair is wet. Ooh. <laughs> There, oh, Darcy again on a horse. <laughs> God, oh, the pond. He gets wet so much. Oh, fencing scene. Sweaty again. Fencing. Pond. <laughs> underlined, underlined. This is the best review of 1995 Pride and Prejudice I have ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's yes. that's what I got. I've, I've also put, oh, like, ugh, I hate Jane a few times. That's that's basically it. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the comments that I had. In the adaptations, what I really love is the the subtleties of everything. How someone can say something that to me, I'd be like, oh, okay. But to someone else, it's like, oh, oh, how dare. And like faints. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like the concept of cutting someone. Yeah, I was really thinking about the moment in Emma where she says says a really cutting thing to, um, I can't remember the, the lady's name. The sort of busybody oh, lady. Miss Bates. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, she just absolutely devastates her. And it's like the most horrible thing that ever happens in that book. And it's just like mm. this one sentence. And I'm like, whoa. It's just like a knife in the heart every time you read it. <laughs> and I think it's what you were saying earlier about how it's all the small things. Because you're in that world of small things. It's also small things that can have such an impact. And I really love being sucked into that. Mm. Because, like, me as a person, I'm pretty confident. It's not that easy to insult me, really. But there's something about the adaptations of these things that really just makes me think, oh, I totally understand how awful that is. I think you're right about the fact that it's it's these, these lives are so constrained mm. and every little misstep is the stakes are genuinely high. And that does get repeated to you over and over again. Like, obviously, there's uh, Lydia and Kitty being silly and then potentially endangering everyone's futures. But that kind of happens over and over again. Like, in Emma, where she advises her protege, rolling with the homies, um, to (laughs) to date the wrong person, when she should obviously be with a stoner skateboarder. It's just, they don't... It's it's so I can't I can remember in the actual book like I can't remember who calls her up on it but they really do say to him like you that would never happen like that would never work what you're proposing and you you've risked her future like she had a chance of a good future yeah the work that would make her happy and be secure and like you've stepped in and screwed this up I, I do remember the, the say in um in Pride and Prejudice where her friend who marries Mr. Collins, she says, like, oh, he's he's got so much to do in the garden and I tell him to do stuff in the garden. And I do I also tell mm. him to call on Lady Whatsaface about, you know, sometimes he has to do it twice a week, twice a day. It's uh, he's and those sermons he has to write, honestly, they take ages. I only see him, you know, half an hour at dinner. And it's a strange, like, what you have to do to make a life. Have we all heard the headcanon? Mm. Sorry, 
the academic Ooh. theory uh, <laughs> that Charlotte Lucas is a la- is a lesbian. Ooh. I don't think I have, but that that is really interesting. But who's a lesbian? That Char- okay, so Charlotte mm. Lucas is um, Lizzie's best friend in mm-hmm. Pride and Prejudice. Mr. Collins, her awful cousin, proposes to her and she says no. Mm. And he then proposes to Charlotte Lucas, who says yes, who's in a very similar financial situation mm. to Lizzie. So she basically married him, even though she knows he's ridiculous and, and ugh, but um, she's going to have a stable home to live in. And then when Lizzie goes to visit her, Charlotte Lucas is perfectly, like, seems genuinely perfectly content, but is very much like Lydia said, like, yeah, I mean, he's out in the garden and he's going to call on Lady Catherine and we only see each other very little. And that's why she's happy. Mm. And um, there is a theory that she is intended to be a lesbian. Mm. And there is a theory that she is not intended to be a lesbian, but that you can read her as one anyway. Yeah. Which I really like. Yeah. Do you think that Jane Austen knew about lesbians? There's also a big theory that she was bisexual. <gasps> yes, I think she did know about Ooh. that. I mean, she does talk well about the ladies being pretty. She she appreciates a pretty lady. I mean, have you heard her description of Harriet Smith? It's intense. <laughs> Emma is in raptures over her eyes all the time. <laughs> but that book is gay. And in the 2019 Emma, like they really make a lot of like the really close female friendship between them, and I really like that. And I was just like, this is mm. this is quite gay. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Helen doesn't have anything to say. Helen's imagination has taken over. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just thinking about, I'm just thinking mm. about lesbian Jane Austen. I'm sorry, <laughs> and I'm just thinking about like queer readings of all the texts. Well, they're there. They're definitely there. Yeah. Oh, that would be so nice. I yes. really, you know, I, I love a. I don't know what this, what this a regency, mm-hmm. regency lesbians. I think that's, I think that's great. I would like more of those. I'd like more, 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 more gayness all around. Everybody, pride and prejudice and gayness, (laughs) sense and sensibility and sapphism. Yes, (laughs) yay! Emma is a lesbian. Okay, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Are you a friend of Emma? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm looking at the questions that I want to ask, but I feel like they're all much less interesting than what we've already talked about without, without like any guidance from me. That's cool. What, um, what are your <laughs> questions, Helen? I think the one I most want to ask is like, which relationship do we like the best? Mm. Oh, that's a good that's question. A really good question. That's a good like, question. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of kind of relationships in the books where the man is like i need to scold you because you've been naughty and <laughs> it's a bit like because um, mr tilney is like oh you're too silly reading your gothic books and oh, no, mr. No, 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 oh, no, Emma, no. you should be nicer to your friends <laughs> but okay mr knightley yes very much also edmund bertram <laughs> uh you can't see me i'm just doing it if you're listening to a podcast you can't see that i'm just doing a big thumbs mm. down there but um no henry tilney is joking he's saying those things super ironically because that was the dominant cultural narrative at the time and he's like poking fun at it he's mm. being sarcastic nice cool yeah i was kind of oh. um i've only really seen the 80s adaptation which has weird saxophones in it which is hilarious oh my god yes Catherine schlesinger and peter Firth. oh my god oh yes okay that's maybe the worst thing ever filmed i <laughs> love it so i um on my twitch channel i wrote um so i read northanger abbey as a bedtime story 
over several weeks yeah. to people and they watched it and then at the end we watched one of my favourite Jane Austen adaptations which is the 2007 Northanger Abbey with Felicity Jones and J.J. Fields and then immediately followed it with the 1987 Northanger Abbey. It's awful. It's the worst thing in the world. Isn't it Isn't it dreadful? Doesn't he look at her like he wants to eat her skin? Yeah, I, I think I watched it when I was a kid with, with my grandma so I really can't remember it that well and I have read the book more recently but still quite a while ago. So it's all a bit fuzzy in my brain. But yeah, it is very bizarre. It's bizarre. I just genuinely want your recommendations of what the best uh, adaptations are. Well, it depends on what you want from a Jane Austen adaptation. Uh, Comedy and hot men. Um, Uh... (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, so um, define hot men. Well, I mean, it's a very varied palette. But, you know, they're, they're hot. Uh, and they're usually men. Okay. But not always. Okay, yeah. So, um, oh, this is a good time for me to plug my podcast, actually. (laughs) Yes! Um, I have a podcast where I watch and review every Jane Austen adaptation ever (laughs) filmed uh, with Jessica Law, who plays Nicola in the Magnus Archives. And um, she has never read a Jane Austen novel before and will be watching each adaptation completely fresh so that's very exciting and we um we do a review system where we score adaptations based on five main criteria which we think are important to a Jane Austen adaptation which is um so first of all there's like Austen Lee vibes how Austen Lee does it feel and then there's how funny are the side Mm -hmm. characters how much fun it is how likable is the leading lady and how sexy is the leading man Mm. so yeah it's a good one to watch if you want something funny and and with sexy men uh, sorry it's a good one to listen to yeah. uh, but I think so for Northanger Abbey the 2007 adaptation of Pride and Pred um, sorry the 2007 adaptation of Northanger Abbey mm. is uh, the really good one J.J. Fields is not what I would call a traditionally like sexy man but I think he does very well in the role of Captain Tilney sorry Frederick Tilney Henry Tilney good lord Captain Frederick Tilney is someone else one of the things that Austin makes very clear especially say in Persuasion where they talk about how um, how hot her cousin is all the time <laughs> is that dudes can be like they can look traditionally hot and they can seem cool but they're but not but not be hot they're not yeah. they're creepy mm. whereas like, yeah. so many bad boys yeah. there's so many bad boys yeah. Wickham so this no. is going to be my next one if you want <laughs> if you want to look at sexy people and you're not that fussed about the rest of the quality of the adaptation, then (laughs) Billy Piper's Mansfield Park is a good one to go for because um, I don't remember the name of the guy who plays Henry Crawford, but Hayley Atwell plays Mary Crawford, and obviously the Crawford siblings are the sexiest of all the Jane Austen characters, I would say. (laughs) That's the the adaptation that I can't Mm. get through at all. Yeah, it's absolutely And I can't remember why. (laughs) (laughs) Just because it's crap. Real bad. Just wading through (laughs) wet sand. (laughs) Trying to reach the Darcy at the end, but you cannot make it. I think the only version of Mansfield Park I've actually consumed is a BBC radio adaptation, and I still really can't remember what happened in it. And I'm just like, no, it's just, I think I've probably ejected it from my brain for good reason. (laughs) Yeah, maybe this thing. I, I haven't read Mansfield Park, so I can't comment. Yeah, it's the one where, like, among people who are very into Jane Austen, a lot of the time we just kind of put it in a corner. Mm. <laughs> like some people absolutely love it, but there's definitely like it's it's one where more people just are like, oh, except Mansfield Park, I guess. Like it's the weird one. Um, like in the Jane Austen book club, there's this, I think it's a book and then a film. And the, there's a line about Mansfield Park. 
where they're like, and we'll read all six of her novels and we're like, even Mansfield Park? Yes, even Mansfield Park. Like, yeah. Mm. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a slog. We never said which was our favourite relationship. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We did, we no, you that. never did. We got sidetracked. Mm. All right, hit me with them, quick. I'm, I'm trying desperately to not think of the couples and to like be cool and think of a female friendship that's much better. <laughs> mm. uh, but... So many of the female friendships are also kind of complicated and messy in interesting ways, mm. which I think is realistic and I love. Uh, but like, I hate Jane. I just can't stand it. <laughs> you know, there's others. Uh, but yeah, I Anne and Anne and Wentworth. Anne and Fred. Yeah. Uh, they're just because, yeah. because I got a bias Anne and Wentworth that way. Is a good one. Just he actually really respects and knows her. Like he knows her. And and she knows him. Yeah. yeah, I have to agree. I think that was the one that I was going to go for as well. And I think also there there is an element of just just talk to each other, just communicate. You both like each other, just talk. <laughs> but then there's also an element of oh the the like the, the tension. But they're is not so allowed. <laughs> it is. It is. And <laughs> friends to enemies to friends. Three thousand k. Yeah. I know. I brought this up, but I now I now will refuse <gasps> to choose. What's your favourite female relationship? Because I bet you can think of one. I mean, I love Emma and Harriet mm. because yeah. it is such a, just a, a messy drama. <laughs> like, it's just a, a mess. It's just a mess. I love that. Um, <laughs> that's really good. I think maybe Eleanor and Marianne have a, like, I think that they are, they are basically each other's world mm-hmm. when they move, you mm. know, and they are so different. And they have so many points of tension in a way that I think is really realistic for a sibling mm. relationship. But also they are 100% each other's best friend. And I think when Marianne falls ill, Eleanor is just devastated. And I don't remember if it's in the original book, but in the Emma Thompson adaptation, she has this line that's like, don't leave me all alone. And it's just, yes. oh, yes, you're right. God. Um, mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe that one. I'm annoyed now because that's what I was going to pick, but I <laughs> oh couldn't no, remember Eleanor's name. <laughs> I was like, Marianne and, and what was her name? I was th- For some reason I was thinking Lydia, and I was like, no, Lydia is the weird one in the other one. What I like is the difference, actually, between this and, say, Lord of the Rings, where if I got, like, a word wrong, like, when I, when I was like, oh, it's the last friendly house, and you're like, it's the last homely house, Lid. Like... You'd come in and like correct. And no, no, it was cool because it was just like, whoa, Helen's encyclopedic in that kind of. There's loads of things I kind of know. I keep the connections, but I don't keep the specifics. I'm really terrible at that. I'm a bad researcher like that. I have to write everything down. Nothing stays in my head. But like, so when people know stuff, when they can just like encyclopedically pick out the index thing, I'm just like, I'm in awe. And the way that you did that over the Lord of the Rings, and I love how. You clearly cared just as much about all the worlds of Jane Austen, but you're like, my favourite one, I think her name might be Bob. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't remember anyone's name at all in Jane Austen. To be fair, they've all got the same name. Yeah. She reuses names so often. <laughs> How many Henrys do there need to be? Basically, if you're not named after a monarch, you're not real. Ah. <laughs> 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 oh. I think, though, that is all we have time for, which is very sad because I want to keep talking. I mean, I say this every episode, like, no, I want to keep talking. I think what I'm learning from this is that we need enthusiasm episodes to be two hours long, at least. But um, 
We'll see if I can wangle that or not. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the collective editing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, with that, um, thank you very, very much for listening. I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as we have. It's been very, very nice. But for now and until next time, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from them. Bye. Goodbye. Enthusiasm is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 4.0 International License. It is created and hosted by Helen Gould, produced by April Sumner, and edited by Marissa Ewing. Thanks for listening. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi everyone, it's Helen here, voice of Azu, Enola and Laverne and host of Enthusiasm. Today I'm here to tell you about Divisor, a podcast on the RQ network. Divisor is a dark science fiction audio drama with elements of horror from Harlan Guthrie, the mastermind behind the unsettling and addictive series Malevolent. In this immersive tale, we follow Sun, a young man who awakens aboard a spaceship bound for Earth on a mission to recolonize a desolate planet. However, Sun's journey takes a sinister turn, and he discovers unsettling truths about his world and himself. The entire series is available for you to listen to right now. So, search for Divisor, that's D-E-V-I-S-E-R, wherever you listen to podcasts, or visit www.divisor.ca or www.rustyquill.com for more information. That's all from me. Enjoy your episode.